This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to Up the Cherries in all departments, Cherries fans. Firstly, apologies with regards to the Nottingham Forest preview. Unfortunately, my special guest was unable to come on in the end. Um, But, hey, we're not doing too badly. Not doing too badly. Um, And, of course, we did get a one-all draw at Dean Court. Should it have been the three points? pretty even sort of game um philip billing i think you know probably deserved his red card unfortunately um so he'll be out of this game against fulham when we're traveling to craven cottage now what i've got today is i've got a very special guest a special guest all the way from the us it is a pleasure to welcome on the host of cottage talk russ goldman Welcome to Up the Cherries in all departments, Russ. How are you doing? I am doing well, my friend. I look forward to talking to you about this match. It's actually a, a very important match for Fulham, so uh, I look forward to getting your insight on Bournemouth, and I'll share mine on Fulham. Yep, most definitely, most definitely. And let's start off with somebody who is a little bit infamous with both sets of fans. Um, we can call this kind of the Scott Parker Derby now, can't we? Yes, of course, I heard a lot of bad stories about Scott Parker from Fulham fans um, at the time, you know, and also, you know, as you probably realise, towards the end of his time here, he made some quite drastic comments after the side got beaten 9-0, threw the team under the bus, even though his formation was absolutely terrible, and through our great owner, uh, Maxim Demin who really invested in this football club to get it from, you know, the lower reaches of the football league into the Premier League. Right. Just kind of throw him under the bus as well. So, uh, yes, he's not a particularly popular person. But I tell you what, the floor's yours. What did you make of Scott Parker, really? Well, to be honest with you, he took over form at a difficult period. We were transitioning from a situation that worked really badly and we went straight down, but he then brought us back up. So I have to give him full credit for that. He did get the club back in the premier league. However, as uh, you've learned and full supporters learned, the style of play was pretty bad to watch. So as I will give him credit for doing that, the issue that we had was one, it started with the style of play. Then we're in the premier league and In the middle of the season, basically, we went on this horrendous losing streak. And the one thing that I will say about Scott Parker is that he doesn't really change what he does. He believes in who he is. And for us, you know, he 
talks a lot about fine margins. I'm sure he did that at Bournemouth too. Yeah. But but for me, the way he ended Fulham, the way he went to Bournemouth, you know, left a sour taste in everyone's mouth, except for the fact that many of us were happy to see him leave, including myself. So I wanted someone that actually played more attractive football. I liked the results when we were in the championship, but when we were in the Premier League, it just it was just not good. It didn't really work. So it was fine for us. And, and we were just trying to tell Bournemouth supporters exactly what was going on. You didn't want to hear it. I understand why. But unfortunately, you lived it as well. The one thing that I do want to mention that I told you off air, that I have a story that I would like to share that involves the beginning of his time at Bournemouth. And I was actually messaged by a former Bournemouth player. I'm not going to name him by name after his first training session with Scott Parker. And he basically messaging me, I'm going to paraphrase, that all Scott Parker did in this first training session, introducing himself to his players, is talked about himself and his achievements. Instead of what they were going to accomplish with Bournemouth, it was all about Scott Parker. Sound familiar? So, And, and the irony of, of that is, uh, like I said, I'm not going to name the player, but I will tell you that that Bournemouth player left shortly afterwards. And we'll just leave it at that. I think, you know, you haven't, and for anybody who knows, Russ hasn't told me who this player is, but I've got in my mind who I think it is. I won't <laughs> say, I won't say at this moment, so I want everybody to guess, but... Um, Everyone can guess who it is, but I'm just telling you that I'm actually friends with this player who's currently playing in the championship. I'll leave it at that. I think you've narrowed it down, and yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he might have actually been on this channel, but of course, I'm not going to ask you. It might be somebody completely and utterly different, but um, we uh, everybody's going to speculate about that now, Russ. I'm sure. I'll tell you what, that's brilliant. But one thing you did mention there was when he said about fine margins. Right. And oh, crikey, the amount of times he did come out with that line. <laughs> um, you know, fine margins against Peterborough. You know, there was no fine margins in that game against Liverpool, I can assure you that. Um, you know, he said it, I, I remember him saying it against, um, after we drew one of war with Reading um, at Dean Court. And to be honest, we should have been out of sight at half time. He made some ridiculous substitute, half-time substitutions because that's what Scott Parker, as you will also know, <laughs> he does. And um, we could have ended up losing that game. Um, so, yeah, Scott Parker, for me, you know, when I look back, you know, even though he got us promoted and a lot of people will say he's a good championship manager. He gets players out of the championship, you know, uh, teams out of the championship, gets players out of the championship. There's a reason why, you know, he can't do it in the Premier League. And I personally think it's because he is so rigid in what he does. Absolutely. Um, you know, like, even in that championship season, we were, I think it was 37 points from the first 15 games. Now that, you know, is sterling form, you know, that is form that, you know, should win the title on. You know, if we kept that up, you know, I think we would have made a lot easier work about it. 
Um, and some people, you know, I'm not saying that Fulham shouldn't have won the title, but some people might have said, you know, you keep up that form, should win the title. But he started doing, he went into this rut, and it was weird because we had players out injured at the start of that season, and he seemed to cope and seemed to do better with that than when, you know, players started coming back. Um, he just didn't seem to know what to do. And we went too defensive. We was allowing teams onto us. Yep. And when we got into the Premier League against Liverpool, you do that against Liverpool and Arsenal. I watched on- that game, by the way. <laughs> Honestly, it was terrible, wasn't it? I was there, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and it was basically just sit back and defend against Liverpool for the whole 90 minutes. We had no attacking impetus. And then to turn around and say the players aren't good enough. And, you know, that's what I can fully understand and fully believe that story. Um, without... yeah, my story kind of backs that up, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, he's turning around and saying that the players aren't good enough. The players proved that they were good enough because they stayed up under Gary O'Neill right. last season. And you know, are going now on the next step under Andoni Iriola. Now, I know we've made some great signings, but still that core of that squad is there. Um, so, yeah, it's Scott Parker is completely wrong and he didn't do very well in Belgium today. No. <laughs> um, so let's move on from Scott Parker because um, we've both found better times. Um, ourselves firstly under Gary O'Neill and now Andoni Iriola but Marco Silva um, and do you know what Marco Silva is a manager that I really do admire I think he's a manager that you know is quite adaptable you know he's everything that Scott Parker wasn't really um, and when he come in firstly was you excited by him and secondly do you feel that Maybe he's hit a little bit of a ceiling because of recent results. I don't think he's hit a ceiling, but I will go back to what I witnessed very early on. So I had heard rumblings before it happened about the name of Marco Silva. And I remember him at Everton and his other stints. And I'm thinking this might be a good fit, even though there were doubters out there that wanted us to go after a different manager that were, there were a couple of championship managers that were out there thinking, okay, that's a better fit than uh, a reclamation project like Marco Silva. But what we learned really early on, and again, such a difference from our times with Scott Parker is that the players improved under Marco Silva. To this day, he has taken an average player and made him a good player, a good player making him a great player, a great player making him an excellent player. He gets the most out of his players. He is, I wouldn't say rigid in the way he does. He believes in his system. He tweaks within his system. But the thing that I will say is that so many players have improved under him. The fact that we have two players that are in the twilight of their careers in Tim Ream and William, and he's still getting the most out of them, just tells you all you need to know. There are so many stories like this. I look at someone like Jedi, Anthony Robinson. He's getting the most out of him. He's starting to now live up to 
his potential. And it starts with Silva. I mean, his nickname with us is the genius. I mean, that might shock some people, but that's where we see it. He always puts Fulman in the, a very good position to succeed. And that's all I can ask for a manager. Also, the style of play is fantastic to watch. And they play with no fear. He will go into a match against Liverpool and not fear Liverpool. So he's going to take it to Liverpool. He's going to press Liverpool. That's why Fulham have given Liverpool probably the most fits this season than any other team, except we've just not gotten any results against them. We've come close, but we've given them trouble. And that's just the way he is. Man City, it doesn't matter. The way he believes in playing football is on the front foot. It's to play with no fear. And that's what we love at Fulham is that we have a manager that believes in his players, believes in his system, and has given us a platform to move on. Unfortunately, right now, heading into this match and for the last several matches, Fulham do not have depth. This is a major problem that they have. So you were mentioning to me off air about these two 5-0 victories. I've talked a lot about them. How can you go from these two 5-0 victories – scoring three against Liverpool, scoring several goals in another match as well, to scoring no goals. How can you do that? Well, unfortunately for Fulham, it's about a couple of players being out at the African Cup of Nations. And key players, we're talking Alex Awobi and Calvin Bassey. Both of them being out are significant losses, and it's taken Fulham a while to figure out how to play without them. When... Raul Jimenez got a three-game suspension in the Newcastle match. It threw everything off of sync. It really did. So Fulham, when they have their best starting 11, can play with anyone. When they don't, that's where they run into trouble. So even right now against coming up with this Bournemouth match, I think they figured out a little bit, but they're not at their best because they are missing two key players. With regards to how Bournemouth play, because what we're playing is very much on the front foot. We do press the defence. We are playing a lot more direct than what Iriola was playing at the start of the season. I was quite well known for knocking Iriola at first because against Everton, we were beaten 3-0. We was playing very, very cute passes. We was controlling the game, but we wasn't really going anywhere. Now we are going a lot more direct. The thing is with this is that we will leave opportunities open at the back. So that is something that, but how is Marco Silva going to cope with that high press? Because against us earlier on in the season, well, Boxing Day, um, not too long ago, actually. um, But, you know, we we did run out 3-0 winners. Right, so... The issue at hand right now is that Marco Silva, with the injuries that we have, with Diop being out, Tim Ream is going to be forced to play, and he'll be fine. But, he again, I think his best days are behind him. So if I'm a Bournemouth supporter, I actually look at the Liverpool match in the semifinal at Craven Cottage and just watch what they did. They just scored the goal with Diaz, and it was – very direct. It was extremely direct. Mm-hmm. And a mistake by Fulham led to the goal. And the problem with that Fulham have right now is that they have to play mistake-free at the back 
because we don't have all the the players that we need to, to move us forward to play the way that he wants to play. It's almost like an engine missing a couple of parts right now. Yeah. So I think it's a, a threat the way that you're playing right now. Dominic Solanke scares the crap out of me. I'm not going to lie. He does. He always scores against Fulham. I'm expecting it in this match as well. Okay. The only thing that I will say is that what I watched in the last match against um, Burnley, you know, we were talk, talking about Fulham's first match against Burnley. It, it didn't go well, but I think that they've learned from their mistakes. One of the things that I've seen from Marco is that he'll, he will look at what went wrong the first time around and correct it when we play you the second time. So I think that you're going to see something a little bit different this time around. But the press is a concern of me, of mine. There's no question about it. But I think he'll have something up his sleeve to offset that. And uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, Fulham still, I believe, have enough to get all three points. But I would feel better if they didn't have these injuries. Harry Wilson's out as well. So it's an interesting point in the season. I just wish that I was facing – my team was facing Bournemouth in a couple of weeks when Calvin Bassey and – Alex Awobi returned because I know how big of a miss both of these players are. But when you look at Fulham and from a Bournemouth perspective, Fulham's strengths are down the wings. They're going to want to get the ball down both sides, especially on the left side. The left side is Fulham's strength. It's going to be William and Jedi. If they're able to get the ball wide consistently, they're going to create opportunities and potentially score goals. Now we have, Broya taking the place of Jimenez, who's out now for a while, as, as we're learning. And uh, he just came to us, so we'll have to see what he brings. But um, I do know that Fulham will still be dangerous in this game. The question is, can they play mistake-free? They're going to have to to get all three points against Bournemouth. That's the way I'm seeing it. And, of course, down if you're playing down the left-hand side, you're going to be coming up against our right-back, who is probably going to be Adam Smith. And Adam Smith does lack a little bit of pace. Um, you know, he's a, he's a very astute defender. You know, he's got a lot of experience, but I think he's lost that cutting edge of the pace. Is that something that you feel that Fulham and Marco Silva will target, um, you know, in particular? No question, because uh, that's where Fulham are going to look for. Marco's going to look for the advantage here. And if the advantage is especially... Fulham's strength on the left-hand side, and they have, talking about Bournemouth, has a right-back that's lacking pace. He's going to try to attack as much as possible down there. He's going. That's where he's going to go. He's going to try to control the ball in central midfield, but then he's going to try to get it out wide as quickly as possible and get the ball at Williams' feet or at Jedi's feet and then get balls in the box. Now, what's interesting now is without Jimenez, Fulham have actually changed – how they played under Jimenez, which is different from Mitrovic. Mm-hmm. With Broya in there, it's almost like you can now go back to playing how you did with Mitrovic, which is weird. Yeah. So I don't know how that's all going to work, to be honest with you. But I'm fascinated to see how they react with Broya as the as your striker, because I'm expecting him to start. I, I don't expect it to be Muniz. I expect it to be Broya. And I expect them to get a lot of balls in the box for him on both sides. A, a tell might be who are your fullbacks, meaning 
if it's going to be Jedi and Tete, then they're going to be just throwing balls in the box on both sides because Tete is really good crosser of the ball. Mm-hmm. If it's Castagna, it might be a little bit different. I, I actually prefer Castagna as uh, Fulham's right back, but Kenny Tete is a better crosser of the ball. So we'll, we'll see. If he is going all out to attack Bournemouth, I think you'll see Kenny Tete. Well, it's going to be an interesting matchup because in our midfield, it's probably our strength. It probably is our strength across the whole of of the team. Um, of course, there's going to be no Philip Billing after he's sending off against Nottingham Forest. Um, so there'll be no link-up play there with Solanke. But... Other players such as Justin Clivert have, you know, done very, very well. And, you know, keeping Solanke out and considering the rest of the work that he does, because he does drop back and bring other players into the game. You know, how do you reckon Marco Silva might target Solanke and try and edge him out of the game? Well, it's all going to be about uh, the play of... uh... Fulham's best player, João Paulinha. Now, mm-hmm. for me, Paulinha will try to be physical with Solanke, get more involved. He will drop back if he needs to, but he will really – he's a tackling machine. So he's going to try to break things up before it gets to Solanke. But I told you, my fear with playing against Bournemouth right now is that uh, your manager looks at the Liverpool match and goes very direct because if he does – I think that is a recipe for success for Bournemouth and something that I'm fearful of. So, but for me, it doesn't take much to get Solanke involved and he kills Fulham. He's a Fulham killer. So, so, uh, but if you're asking me without Diop and, and hopefully Tosin is uh, ready to go because again, he did uh, have a little issue at the end of the last match. If it's Tosin and Ream, I think they're going to be okay. Of course, you have the protection from from Jao Polina in central midfield, but um, it's going to be difficult. He's a handful. You know, it doesn't take it doesn't take much for him to impact a game. Similar to Ivan Tony, Ivan Tony can just impact a game just like Solanke. When you have a player like this, this is why I'm so upset, my friend, that Alexander Mitrovic is in Saudi Arabia because when you have a player like this. You gotta you gotta fight to keep that player no matter what, because yeah. then you really have this issue. And Fulham have it's taken them almost half a season to figure it out with Raúl Jiménez. Now he gets hurt, and you bring in Broya, and now you might be going back to the Mitrovic way of doing things. So it's it, it's a fascinating time for Fulham. It's, I think it's not the best time to be playing Bournemouth, like I mentioned, but I still think that they have enough. To uh, to win the match, whether they do is, is another thing. But it, it, it's a big match for Fulham. There's no question about it. Seeing as you mentioned him, Alexander Mitrovic, do you think he's regretting going to Saudi Arabia now? Surely, after what's happened to Jordan Henderson. I don't know. That's a great question. I I don't know. I don't know. I know that. Uh, he he left making a lot of money. So mm-hmm. he's, I guess, laughing all, all the way to the bank. But, of, of course, you now have, like, the Jordan Henderson situation, and you have other yeah. players that are now seeing that the competition there is really not that great. You have 
all of these fantastic players and nothing else with it. Oh, by the way, there's hardly anyone watching some of these matches. So is he regretting it? I don't know. But um, if he is, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) No, fair enough. I, I said this from the start. You know, the, you know, okay, Saudi Arabia can pay whatever they want to some of these players, get these stars on board um, and into the Saudi league. But the problem is, is for the league and the players to benefit from going out to Saudi Arabia. And of course, Jordan Henderson's still got, you know, ambition to play in the England squad, um, as has Mitrovic to play in the Serbia squad. They have to be playing against players of a quality standard. You know, it's not like you could put a, you know, world-class player into a park team and say, yeah, he's going to be picked up by, you know, Argentina or England or someone like that. Because the thing is, is the players that they're playing against and the level they're playing against is just not there. Um, So I think the Saudi league for all intents and purposes, have got a long, long way to go. And, you know, this isn't me being anti-Saudi Arabia here, you know, not at all. It's me being realistic that, you know, if you import players like Henderson, like Ronaldo, like Mitrovic, like Ruben Neves, you have to have other players who can compete with them to keep them, A, hungry, and secondly, um, keep their standards up because they like to be challenged. Right. And I think if there's one thing that they're learning is that the challenge is just not there. You know, I I, I don't think I'm. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Crazy to be saying that. So... Like you said, is he regretting it? Maybe he's regretting the level of play, but he has a lot of money that can offset that. So I understand all of this, and uh, I just think that um, over the course of a career, they might look back. A lot of these players might look back and just say, hey, listen, we cashed in, but that wasn't my best play as a footballer. It was in England. It was in the Premier League because – or in the Bundesliga, or in France, or in Italy, or Germany. It's not going to be in Saudi Arabia. No matter how much money they throw at it, you can't replicate the Premier League there. You can't. 
you can try like they're trying, but for me, I've not watched one minute of football in Saudi Arabia. I, I really have no stomach for it, and I really don't care. I don't wish anyone ill will, including Mitrovic, but I, like I mentioned, I hope he does regret it a little bit that he left Fulham because he left Fulham yeah. with a, a huge hole, but I actually blame Fulham for not replacing Mitrovic properly because they had plenty of time to do it. They didn't do it. So I'm still upset about that. But overall, I think that maybe just maybe the Saudi Arabia situation in the course of three to four years will turn into the situation like happened in China. And it, it just, I wouldn't say goes away, but people finally start to players, other players like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't go there because the competition isn't great. Because I can't imagine it's going to get much better because you, you're not bringing in enough quality players. You still have to deal with players that are from Saudi Arabia that just are not at the same level. It, it's basically saying, and again, maybe it's unfair to say League One players and, and Premier League players playing together on a team. And it just doesn't work. It's actually a similar situation here I'm in the U.S. with the MLS. And people ask me, will the MLS ever reach the Premier League level? And I said, probably not in my lifetime. I said, right now, mm. it's probably has a few teams that are championship level, but the majority of them are probably very low championship level teams with a lot of good players. They do. They have a lot of good players. Yeah. You know, you got Messi here, but I'm sure Messi's not thinking, boy, what? Look at the competition here in MLS. No, he's talking about the money he's, he got from from the MLS. I don't think he's regretting it, but he knows that the quality of players not here. It's much better. It's it's actually MLS is not a bad league, my friend. It, it isn't. Think of it like the championship, but on a on a lower level. Meaning, you know, like it's not even a full championship level yet. It's getting there, but it's it's not bad football. But Saudi Arabia is nowhere near that. They're nowhere near that. So if you're Mitrovic and you're playing against a team, a player that is probably four levels below you, how, what are you saying to yourself? Do you, do you just turn around and say, well, at least I got the money? I guess. Mm. Actually, whilst we're on this subject, MLS, um, you know, like you say, it, it's got a lot, lot better. The Beckham documentary come out and, of course, Beckham did regret the move at first. And, yep. of course, Landon Donovan, um, who is the American hero, um, you know, really did take exception to, you know, how Beckham kind of reacted when he was there. Um, and, of course, did go on to win things um, at LA Galaxy. But here's a question for you, Russ, and this is just off the top of my head now. Go ahead. Do you feel the MLS and American football, or American soccer, I should say, do you think it would be better if there is a promotion and a relegation, maybe initially just a one-tier promotion and relegation until more clubs do join up? But do you feel that, American soccer would benefit from three teams going down, three teams going up. So I've proposed this within the MLS structure of uh, basically having two tiers. And I think that would work. But there are people here that would want it to be like it is in England with the lower leagues like 
like USL, USL and their different divisions. The problem is it's about money and it's, and it's about the league itself and MLS are not going to be willing to do something like that. I'm not against it. What I thought would work is that if mm-hmm. MLS continues to grow in numbers because they keep having new franchises, just break it up into two pieces. And I think that, I think that would work, but it wouldn't, I think, but the problem is it would come down to money. It, it comes down to money. And you're talking some big heavy hitters have invested now in MLS and they're not going to be willing to play in a lower league. The only, like I said, that's the reason why I think the only way it works is if you broke it up into two. I would be all for it. I'm not against promotion and relegation at all. I just don't think it's ever going to happen in my, here. I just don't think it will. I think it would work. I, I absolutely think it would work. And there are so many people here that grew up here with European football that wanted here. The problem is the money. It, it, it just comes down to money. Yeah. But the one thing as well, and I'm going to bring it back to um, Fulham and Bournemouth in a moment, but okay. the one thing is that both of our clubs, you know, ourselves back in 2008, minus 17, nearly went out of the Football League. Fulham, of course, in the late 90s as well, you know, really, really struggled, was down at the bottom of Division 3 as it was. Um, Luton Town even, you know, and that are I'll mention why I brought them up actually in a moment, but they even went out of the football league and got themselves into Premier League. And surely the MLS, if, you know, those stories, if there was one of those stories or two of those stories in the MLS, you know, a team that had come from absolutely nowhere, you know, play at a ground like Dean Court, for example, I think that would probably heighten you know, the value oh. of, the, of the league. Well, I listen, I totally agree with you. I'll give you the best example I can give you. You're going to laugh when I tell you the club, who's a huge hit over here, who actually toured here over the summer, Wrexham. Wrexham is massive here, okay? It's become such a cultural thing here. And I've watched the FX show. I actually love the FX show. I'm not really into the whole Ryan Reynolds and his partner. You know, I'm not into that, but it has the product that they've put together and the amount of money that they put into the production of the show, because it really is a TV show. Wrexham have turned into a TV show, but their backstory is so amazing. And the fact that they're now in league Two, hopefully them to go to League One, they might be able to do something like this. And I think it's wonderful that they're creating this. So to answer your question, I think Americans would love that situation. It's not us. It's the owners that you have to worry about. Yep, exactly. And if they've invested in an MLS club and, you know, they want that club to stay there, it's a little bit like Super League, isn't it, really? Yeah. Where Let's not talk about Super Leagues. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's awful, isn't it? It's an awful idea. But, you know, it is like that where it's a bit of a closed shop and they want to keep right. it a closed shop. But open it up would be an amazing thing, you know, for football in America. And, sure, I'm not going to disagree. Yeah, I'm hopefully, fingers crossed, one day it will happen. But reason I mentioned Luton was I saw a post actually from a Luton fan the other day and they made the point that they're in quite good form and that 
anybody from 12th downwards could get sucked into this relegation battle. But we're on 20, you're on 26 points, we're on 27. Personally, I think we're out of it. I totally. think, yeah, <laughs> I think we're out of it. Um, and it's just, I can't believe we're saying this, you know, at the start of February, you know, but yeah. um, we're looking really up as Fulham fans should be. Um, you know, <laughs> could you see any sort of situation that either club would get dragged into something nasty at the end of this season? The only way I would see, I'll start with Fulham getting dragged in, is uh, more injuries were to happen. Mm-hmm. The fact that I think Fulham are in a really interesting situation, like I said, right now you've got two players that are going to be in the African Cup of Nations final, which is wonderful, right? They're going to be coming back, and they're going to be in great form. And it's going to be like two new signings coming to Fulham. It really is. That's how much of an impact I expect Bassey and Awobi to give Fulham. It's almost like I'm going back many years, but Fulham supporters will remember when uh, when Bobby Zamora got hurt in the beginning of uh, the season and came back, I think, January or February. And Fulham were struggling, and we're struggling tremendously. He comes back, everything changed, and I knew that was going to happen. I feel a similar situation when these two players come back. I think Fulham are going to be fine. In, in the case of Bournemouth, the same situation, unless there's a major injury, unless Dominic Solanke gets injured, and I'm not yeah. wanting him to get injured because I don't wish Bournemouth any ill well at all. In fact, I, I actually hope you do well. I think we have this thing in common that we'll always have in common now. Yeah, And I know a lot of Fulham supporters agree with me on this. It goes back to this connection because of Parker, I thought, brought these two clubs together in a very strange way. So I don't see it happening because you've already weathered your storm at the beginning of the season. You had your manager have to figure things out. You're on the other side now. You might not be getting into the top 10. Maybe you will. Maybe Fulham will as well. But I can't imagine either one of our clubs getting dragged into something unless there was these major injuries, which could happen, but I don't expect it to happen. I don't expect our clubs to get dragged into it, partially because of the Everton situation too, which actually saddens me because I know a lot of Evertonians and I don't think they deserve to be where they are. And I I could imagine a team like Nottingham Forest getting dragged into it. That's the team that I would be putting my money on right now that could be vulnerable even with all the moves they've made. I think that's a team to watch out for because they're still going to be dealing with some kind of punishment, which we don't know what it is. And funny enough, you know, because I really do, the Luton fan that actually made this comment is somebody I know quite well and, you know, really do respect. But um, let's give them a little something back. I actually think they'll be fine. Okay. I think Luton will be fine. Um which of those teams do you think will drop? I'm guessing the bottom two, Burnley and Sheffield, yes. you know, I can't see them getting out. But, you know, out of the rest of them, who else do you think it might be? Like I said, it could be Everton because of their their financial situation because of the penalties. Mm-hmm. I think it could be Nottingham Forest. That's the team I'm looking at. I'm looking at Nottingham Forest. I think what they have done is almost – 
basically what foam did, but on steroids, they like took it to like a completely different level when they came up. Now I understand the argument that they had to build a brand new team because they really had no players because they were all on loan. I get all that, but I think they did it in such a way, which got themselves into trouble. And when I watch that team, there's no chemistry there. It's basically 11 strangers playing together. And that's the reason why Nottingham Forest are in the position that they're in. What's great about Bournemouth and Fulham is that they play together as teams. They're teams, okay? Your team has, is well-defined. You play together as a team. That's why I like when I watch Bournemouth. I, I respect Bournemouth. Similar thing with Fulham is that they play together as a team. We don't have the money that these other clubs have. You know, you go back to the situation with Bournemouth years ago and Fulham the same way, just fighting to survive. But when you look at it, what's the common denominator? Two things. It is playing together as a team and the supporters that are behind that team that are galvanized. Bournemouth and Fulham have one major thing in common. They're both families. And that's yeah. why I believe ultimately they will survive for, for many years. Both of us might go down, might come back up again. But the Bournemouth family and the Fulham family are very strong. And that's what makes things different now when you look at a situation like Nottingham Forest. Nothing against Nottingham Forest, but they don't have that togetherness. They, they don't play together as one. They have a great fan base. But it's very different than your fan base and, and, and Fulham's. And, and that to me... When you've been to the, the bottom, like both of these clubs have, and you're talking generations of, say, Bournemouth supporters and Fulham supporters that dealt with this, it brings you together. And that, to me, is one of the reasons why I'm a Fulham supporter, my friend, is that I came into this family. They opened their arms to me, some American, right? Some Amer They opened their arms to me. At a very strange time, the great escape in 2007 is when I became a Fulham supporter. And I've been on that roller coaster ride, just like Bournemouth. And I wouldn't change a thing. People have asked me, why don't you support Liverpool? And I said, well, then you, I guess you don't know me. I, I guess you don't understand me because Fulham are in my blood and it's not going to change. And But it, it really is about family. And that's what makes our club special, in my opinion. And actually... That was an incredible, great escape in 2007, um, you know, where Fulham did stay up. Yeah, that's um, why I don't have much hair left. Yeah. <laughs> but um, i tell you what, I'll, I'll say who I think will actually go down. And this is going to be incredible. Okay. Former, he is a Fulham, former Fulham manager, actually. Um, and it'll be incredibly sad end to his career. But I think with Michael Elise out, I think Crystal oh. Palace are really Maybe. in danger. I think they're really, really, really in danger of dropping, um, which will be a horrible end for Roy Hodgson because um, no doubt it's probably going to be his last managerial job um, and he'd want to go out on a high. Yeah, I, I, I'm a, I've got a bit of fear for Roy, unfortunately. So Yeah, and it, as you can imagine, Roy Hodgson is uh, a very special to all of us, and none of us would yeah. want to see it. So maybe that's why I'm I'm not look, going down that road. But mm -hmm. I can see why you're going down that road, and uh, it it would be a sad ending. 
to someone that has been a tremendous manager, not just for Fulham, but for several clubs. And uh, I know people uh, have their feelings about when, when he was in charge of England and Liverpool supporters think of him as, as a devil. For whatever reason, they think of him as a devil. They really do. I can't even talk to Liverpool supporters that I know. They will mm. not say one nice thing about Roy Hodgson. I'm like, well, that's not the man I know. Not the man that – and I would not want to see him to go out that way. But that that's a possibility. And listen, I give Luton Town a lot of credit. They're fighting. They are yeah. absolutely fighting. And, and our last match of the season is against Luton Town. Yeah. And, you know, they are – I think they'll fight to the very, very bitter end. Um, you know, sadly, I – that was what what I thought the other day when you know I heard about Elise, um, you know, being out, you know, injured and for a long period of time. I, I really fear for Roy, but let's bring it back to our game. And I sure. do this with every guest, Russ. And predictions time. Okay. How do you think this is going to go? Okay, so I think that this is going to be a match where, like I said, I think. I think that Bournemouth are going to come to Fulham with full confidence, and Fulham's record against Bournemouth is not great. Even at Craven Cottage, not great at all. It screams draw. It screams draw. It really does. But I'm going to back my side because I think they've made strides in these last two draws, and I think Marco will have learned what went wrong against Bournemouth the first time around. And that's the one great thing about, about him is that he does learn from his mistakes. So I think that he will have a good plan to play Bournemouth. And I do like Fulham, but it's going to be tough. I'm, going to, I'm just going to say 2-1 to one to Fulham. Solanke is going to score because he always scores against Fulham. So we'll see what happens. But I'm going 2-1 to one to Fulham. Yeah, good man, good man. I, th- I did think for a moment, I thought – are you going to be the fifth person to turn around and back Bournemouth? Um, but fair play, you know, I'm always going to go for my side. To sure. be honest, there's very few times I do uh, go against us. Um, and I am going to go, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough. It's not going to be the same sort of game as at Dean Court. I think, you know, Fulham were poor that day. I'm, I'm sure you'll forgive me for saying that, but... No. I think Marco Silva will get it right, but I'm not going to go against my own team. And I'm going to yeah. say a slender 1-0 victory. Um, and actually, I reckon we might get a penalty, which oh, is a rarity. It's okay. a rarity. <laughs> it's a rarity. Um, but yeah, I think that might happen. So <laughs> you never, you never, never know. Um, but Russ, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this show and please do tell everybody where they can find cottage talk. Sure. So uh, you can follow me on X at cottage talk. My own personal account is Russ underscore Goldman. You can also follow me on anywhere you get podcasts. I'm also on YouTube at cottage talk. Follow it there as well. And um, I just want to say, this has been a pleasure speaking with you today. And uh, after this match, I wish uh, you and Bournemouth all, but like the rest of the season. Thank you so much, Russ. And likewise, likewise, you know, I hope that both our sides are up there battling to get into Europe. Um, it's crazy that we, I can even say that about our football club. <laughs> but um, of course, you've had a lot more success in Europe than we have, but you never, never know. And 
of course, it's it's great that you know two sides that were promoted together had to go through Scott Parker, um, one after the other. Um, however painful that was, it was very very painful for anybody that doesn't know. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think it'll forever be that good friendship and that good banter. And um, yeah, we'll always look out for each other's scores, won't we? Really. Absolutely, my friend. Best of luck. Thank you so much for coming on, Russ. My pleasure. You're welcome. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please remember to hit the like, the subscribe, the bell button below to be alerted to any new videos we do here on Up the Cherries in All Departments. Please do also check out all of our previous videos as well. We have had some special guests on recently. We had Peter Hooten from the band The Farm all together now. Um, we've also had Chickenhead from the call center. Um, everybody will remember that. Um, the Welsh call center um, where Nev was famous and Hayley the tea lady, honestly, it's brilliant. Um, do go and watch it and do listen to the actual line that he come out with. Um, but until the next video, up the cherries and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you for joining us. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.